everyone, happy Monday. Today's episode is a little bit more long form than normal, so I'm not keeping to the 12 minutes for this particular series. They do take me a long time to prepare, as they're also, if you are engaged with this work, going to take you a long time to work through. And so I'm going to air this series every Monday for the next four Mondays. And so this will be part one, and then we'll continue on from there. Now, what I'm doing here is I'm taking an old story. This particular one is Jonah and the whale from the Hebrew Bible, and I'm going to break it down. Now, there's a couple ways to read old stories. You can read them as if they're history, so they happened at some other time before you existed. You could read them as their mythology in the classic understanding of myth, as in like a made-up story or a fable, maybe meant to give you a point. And from both of those sort of interpretations, you can take something from them and try to apply them to your own life. But the way that I'm going to read them is if they are about you now, uh, whenever you're hearing this and whatever year you're hearing it, whatever conditions your life is in right now, I think if we take these old stories and we read ourselves into them, then what we find is that we are, that they they speak to us at a really deep level. One of the things you'll hear me say quite often in this show and also when I'm interviewed by other people's show is that there's no coach out there. There's nobody that's going to have your answer, right? Your answers are within you. Luckily, though, we're standing on the shoulders of giants. We have all of these old stories about what it means to be human. And so if you can read them in this way, you can read them as if they're happening to you now then what it does is it gives you a roadmap to your own depth, to your own answers. You can start to reflect on what this story means for you in your life. And so that's how I'm going to break these down. And then in addition, I've got reflection questions that are throughout the episode, which will help you with deeper understanding. And one thing you can do is head to rickalexander.com stories. I'll link it up in the show notes of this episode. And you can actually just see all of the reflection questions so you don't have to remember them while you're driving or doing whatever you're doing. In terms of how you might answer these questions, I would say you could do stream of consciousness journaling. That would be one way. Or you could just meditate on them. You could just ask yourself and then rather than trying to answer them, you could just let them sit in who you are at the sort of center of who you are and just see what comes up, sort of a contemplative approach to these reflection questions. So this is going to be part one of Jonah and we will resume with part two next Monday. break this story down is I've got the NIV version of the Hebrew Bible in front of me. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to go verse by verse, and then I'm going to talk about what that means for us. What what is it asking you? What is it saying to you? And then you can reflect on your own life as I reflect on the verse. And I think you'll see what what I mean. It'll all come together. And you can start to ask yourself the really deep questions. And of course, that's what these reflection questions are for as well. So the other thing to note about this story in particular and all of these old stories is that they're very short. And so anything that comes up in them is really important. And that's why I'm going verse by verse, because there's more hidden depth than I could ever even get to in one teaching or understand in one lifetime. 
but that's why I'm going to break it down sort of systematically in this way. So it begins by saying, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. So this moment is the call of truth that sort of emerges within us. So if you can take a minute and, you know, just pause from the no money down guarantees or money back guarantees and all the things you think you've got to do and all the, the achievements, if you can pause for a minute and reflect on your life, one thing I would submit is that you'll start to notice, it's, it's often subtle at first, though this story, as the story shows, it doesn't stay that way for long. One of the things you'll notice is that your own internal constitution is making demands of your life. And what that insinuates is that you're not here on accident. You're here for a purpose. And that purpose is buried within the blueprint of your own soul. And so when people talk about learning to follow their own soul, that's what they're talking about. They're talking about, they're not talking about learning to follow their own ego, which is, we'll, we'll break down the difference. But what they're talking about is actually learning to hear the subtle voice from within that is making demands on your life. You might call that the truth. The word of the Lord in this case is that truth that is making demands from within you. One place here where I think depending on your religious upbringing, you might start to find trouble is you want to think about this as emerging from the center of who you are, from your heart. Because sometimes if we're following something with our head, it's really easy to follow something external from us. But I would submit that at the beginning of this book, the Hebrew Bible, one of the things it says is that the way we came to consciousness is God actually breathed his life into us. He actually breathed his spirit into us. And what that insinuates is that it's got to come from within, right? Because if you're, if you're following something from without, then what you're following is an image. You're not actually following the thing that's been sown into your heart. And if you're going to figure out what your purpose here on earth is, what your path is, and you've got to find the truth that's in your heart. So a reflection question that comes up here is, what is the price of not following that truth in your own life? And so as the story goes on, there are various prices and costs that are going to be associated with Jonah not following what he knows he's supposed to do, not answering his call to adventure. So now we'll move into verse 3 here. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So here's the classic denial of the call. So if you've ever, if you've read any of my work or if you have become familiar with some of uh, Joseph Campbell's work in the monomyth, one of the things he talks about in the hero's journey is that at first, the hero always denies the call. And what I would submit is that is exactly what you're doing in your own life. When that truth emerges, it's, it's rarely convenient. You know, it's rarely the thing that we want to do. We want to go pursue pleasure and we want to go pursue all of the things we've convinced ourselves we need in this life. Now, I'm going to read a, a short paragraph from my own book, uh, page eight, where I talk about that call to adventure and then that feeling where we want to deny the call. So I say, we should note that answering the call is almost always preceded by a refusal and a denial of the call. This is because no one in their right mind wants to leave the comfort of the ordinary world. It is only destiny that can coax us to come out from underneath the covers and into the dark forest where we will meet our maker. 
your personal call to adventure may be a project that you want to start, a book that you want to write, a person you want to date, or anything that calls you into a different kind of life. Now, in these old stories, they have to have images to create a feeling of something that's actually taking place within you. And so I like that they use a ship in we can think about a ship in many ways, but in a lot of old stories, what the ship does is it connects worlds and different people groups. Christopher Columbus, when he was writing in his uh, journal about the people he encountered when he got here to what's now the United States, he said, they, he's talking about the Native American peoples. He said, they know neither sect nor idolatry, with the exception that all believe that the source of all power and goodness is in the sky. And they believe very firmly that I, with these ships and people, came from the sky. And in this belief, they everywhere received me after they had overcome their fear. And so this idea is, you know, you can imagine thousands of years ago when your, your world is very much confined by where you can go with your feet. And then the ship comes along. And now all of a sudden, this is something that can transcend your, can, can take you to transcend your current reality, where you're at right now, and bring you to an entirely new world. And so the ship, in this case, is, is exactly the, the first vehicle that's going to do that. We can also contrast Noah with Jonah. So earlier, obviously, one of the very first stories in the Bible is the figure Noah appears. And what Noah means is walks with God. And so you, what you might think about in this case is Noah being the person that has learned and is following the highest truth for his life, for his purpose on earth. And in that case, Noah builds a ship, right? And when the entire world becomes chaos, that ship is the thing that keeps him safe. You might say that him learning to follow this truth and learning to live in alignment with this truth and walk with this truth, it's the thing that keeps him safe from the storms. Well, something different is going to happen in the story of Jonah, right? Because what's, what he's doing is he's actually bringing the lie inside of the ship. And so well, what happens if you bring a lie into a container that's meant to shield you from the storms of life? That's kind of our second reflection question. I mean, you can just think about that, right? Like I asked you, what, what's the price of not following truth? There's definitely a cost associated with this. And so, for example, let's say that you bring a lie into a family system and you just, you hold it and nobody else knows about it. See, a family is something that can provide refuge from the outside world, from all of the unknowns. What happens if you bring a lie inside of a organization? What happens if you bring a, bring a lie inside of a culture? You could think of culture as the ship or container that's meant to keep the wild world outside. So culture is something that keeps us safe. Well, what happens when you bring lies inside of that culture, when you're not in alignment with the truth? Well, I think we saw it a lot this summer, right? I think we saw buildings on fire. I think we saw chaos. What happens is the chaos gets inside because the truth is the thing that keeps you safe from it. And so you learning to follow that truth will keep you safe from that chaos. Okay, so now let's move to verse 4. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. This is, this is the lie inside, inside of the ship, inside of the container. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. Okay, so here we have the emergence of wind and spirit. And so when we're talking 
about old, old stories, especially Hebrew consciousness. Wind and spirit were the same word, right? They were thought of as the same word. And so if the ship is the thing that connects worlds, well, the wind is the thing that decides how. So the spirit is the thing that decides how and where you end up and where you go. For example, the Hebrew word ruach, it it means both wind and spirit. The Greek word pneuma, same thing. It means both wind and spirit. Uh, Latin, anima and animus, same thing. That's soul and that's wind or breath. And what's interesting is those three languages are the languages that this particular story came through to land to us. And so it's important to note that what we have here is is a contrast, right? When great spirit, you might say, is within you, there's nothing you cannot do. There's nothing you cannot be or nowhere that you can't actually go. But when it's against you, there's no escaping from it. This is what Jonah's learning here. He's trying to escape from this truth that has emerged from within him, and he's unable to do so. And so what will happen is at first, when you try to flee, you, you board the ship headed for the wrong way, right? You take a job that doesn't matter to you. You date the person because they're safe, whatever, whatever, however you, you've conceptualized this, right? However you go the wrong way in life, what you find is eventually it's never going to be enough. And so you see this again all throughout the Bible, this idea of wind and great spirit being really interrelated concepts. In the book of Kings, when Elijah is taken up to heaven basically is just literally taken from the earth up to heaven he, he's taken in a whirlwind right so you see the same motif appearing it's wind and spirit when it's with us when we have it at our back it's nowhere we can't go but when it's against us there is no escape there is no escape from this life so then in verse 5 they say their god we're contrasting this ultimate truth with the smaller t truth that the things that you're trying to do in order to avoid your life's calling in order to avoid what your soul is asking of you and so when you reach this point of realizing you cannot escape your truth the lesser thing the safety the money the validation whatever it is that you're trying to serve in order to not serve your soul it's not going to be able to save you and so i like here that what they did is they really contrasted these two things we've got the god of all right the the highest truth for what you are who you are and what you're doing here and the demands that are made on your life because you're you're here for a very specific reason and then you contrast that with all of these other ways that we try to escape it these are all these other gods that we pray to all these smaller things that we hope will keep us safe though deep down we know that no matter what happens if we're opposing the spirit that's within us We're not going to make it. But then it goes on to say, But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. This deep sleep, this is exactly where you are when you're running, right? The thing that you're trying to wake up to in your life is what the soul is asking you to wake up to, right? It is that call to adventure, and that call to adventure is how you're going to wake up. So you're, you're trying to wake up to what you're really doing here, you know, amidst all of the distractions and we live for distractions right we distract ourselves with tv with our phone i mean we're i would say probably now more than any other time in history though who could know because i've only been here um 
we're, we're the most distracted we've ever been. There are a million ways not to answer your call, not to go do the thing. And so when this motif of sleep comes up, it's insinuating that you're not here, that you're not awake to what your purpose is. Verse 6 says, The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. When you're here, when you're asleep, when you're avoiding the call, you're going to find the captain everywhere you look, trying desperately to wake you up. This is sort of that Buddhist idea that I talked about where the Buddha said, look, everybody in your life can be your Buddha, can be the one that wakes you up. You just got to, you got to know how to look at it. You know, the quiet desperation from within, that's the captain shaking you, saying, how can you sleep right now? The frustrations in your life, the pain points, right? They're all asking something of you. It's it's our job to learn how to listen. Another one is the inability to enjoy your life. This has been a, a really strong one with me. When I first uh, got with Danielle, we would just be laughing or joking around or something, and she would laugh. And when she would laugh, I couldn't help but notice how I would just instantly be transported to another world. Like it was just, I was instantly no longer in the drudgery of everyday consciousness. And what's interesting about that is the further I get from my own truth, when I stray from my own path, and I'm using this story because I'm really learning to follow this myself, you know, I notice that that same laugh doesn't have that same effect. And so you might look around your life and you say, what, this is a good reflection question, what is it that I know I should be enjoying that I'm absolutely unable to enjoy right now. Um, that's something that you'll, you'll notice will come up because you're separated from the truth of where you're supposed to be and what you're supposed to be doing. So now as we move along in the story, verses 7 through 12, it's like a three-part series. And this is how you finally pay the cost. Remember at the beginning of the episode, I said, what's the price of not following the truth? You look around your life, you'll find that price everywhere. Well, this is how you pay it, the next series of verses. And I'll I'll break it down. So it says, Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots and find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he'd already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. So here in these verses, we see three things. We see the moment of reckoning. We see the stand for truth. And then we see the surrender to that truth, the surrender to the realization that no matter what we do, no matter how we concoct this reality, no matter how we keep ourselves safe, no matter how much the world is going to celebrate us for it, that storm within is going to keep getting worse. You're going to keep feeling further from your life. You're going to keep feeling less grounded, more disconnected from what your purpose is. And so these questions that come up in this moment of reckoning, what they lead to is that stand for truth. This is our rock bottom moment in life, right? If we don't answer this call, 
what happens is we spiral in a downward fashion and then we reach a point of rock bottom. And that rock bottom, the way we get out of there is we stand for truth, right? We stand on what, what's actually happening to us in our lives at that moment. We realize there is no more running. I cannot run from this anymore. I'm here for some reason. I've got to listen to the demands that my soul is making on me. And in this moment, we reach the point of surrender, or we hope to reach the point of surrender. In verse 10, we see this, the part where it says, well, this terrified them. Jonah says, like, oh, this is who I am. And then it terrifies them. You know, something that's interesting to know is the parts of you that would be more than happy to settle for a lie are terrified by the truth. And that is the whole thing in this story. This is the reason you get on the ship that's headed the wrong direction in the first place. There's a great, uh, there's a great quote from a psychoanalyst that I'm totally forgetting right now. I just heard it the other day. He said, if sexual repression were the neuroses of Freud's age, you know, a fear of our own powers, the neuroses of ours. There's a Marianne Williamson quote, which actually I'll read here, and I'm sure you've heard it before. We'll talk a little bit about it. It's always been a really hard one for me to grasp. She said, our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There's nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We're all meant to shine as children do. We're born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. And, you know, it's taken me forever to understand that quote. Like, I, I just doesn't sound real, right? Because that's not, that's not the fear that we tell ourselves we have. The truth is, though, that the reason we get on the ship in the first place headed for the wrong direction is because we are afraid of that truth. We're afraid of who we become if we start to live up to the power that is within us. So a couple of reflection questions here that can be really helpful to help work yourself through this storm, so to speak, in your own life. The first is, what is the smaller truth you're willing to settle for? That's a... important to identify and get out in the open. And then the next one is, what belief is keeping you from surrendering? So in other words, right, what do you believe about your life? Like what, what part of your life are you still convinced that you can control? So as we move into the final couple verses here for this part of chapter one, we'll get a little more insight into this. So verse 13 says, Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. So this verse 13, where they say, you know, they, they try to row back and they try not to listen. This is going to happen because you're, you're going to try to surrender to who you are and you're going to find yourself oscillating back and forth because the ego is still sure 
that it can control this life. Because this is what the surrender actually is, right? It's the surrender to the realization that this life isn't controllable, that no matter how many models of reality you have, you can't own any of it. You can't own love. You can't own passion. You can't own your life. It's going to come. Right? It's going to make demands of you via your own heart and soul. And then it's going to go. And there's nothing that you're going to be able to do to keep that from happening. And so this moment where they try to row back, but then they eventually are like, oh God, please forgive us. We got to throw them overboard. What's happening here is this is that oscillation between the ego being like, I want to surrender because I know I can't get out. I know there's no other way. I have to listen to who I'm here to be. And at the same time, you don't want to, right? You've been making all of these models of reality and all of these future plans in order to keep yourself safe for very specific reasons. There are traumas in your past that you're hoping to avoid, insecurities and fears you're hoping to avoid. And so the ego convinces itself that if you can just, if you can just work it right, you can own some part of this. Maybe you can you can escape the fate that we're all slotted for. And again, at the end of the day, if you're opposed to that spirit that is within you and without, you're going to find that it's going to be no use. You're going to be at a point where you, you just can't seem to go further. And maybe you have the metrics. You've got the money. You've got the house. You've got the success. You've got however it is you've defined success, and it just doesn't feel like it. Right? There is no going forward at this point. It's only surrender that's going to help. And then in verse 15, they throw him into the water. So uh, in depth psychology, the water often represents the unconscious. So you just, you can't see below the water. And so this is the unknown that you were actually afraid of, right? They, they throw him in the water. And this is that moment of, this is what it's like when you surrender. This is, what it, this is why you haven't surrendered in the past, because you don't know what's out there. And it's vast. And there's a million ways it could go wrong. What you have to do is stop convincing yourself that it's controllable. That all of this, that what you're a part of, is controllable by your own power, by your own soul. Rather, you're a part of it. You've got a purpose here. You've got a message here for somebody. There's a mission here for you. And the thing to understand is, in order to follow that purpose in order to follow that mission you're gonna have to surrender to the vast unknown to the waters of the deep to what you do not know where you cannot see and if you do then maybe the storm will start to grow calm i think that's what what this story teaches us this is where we're going to conclude part one as i said in the intro head to rickalexander.com stories and you can check out the reflection questions and the journaling questions and uh, work through these stories so that they are really, really relevant to your own life. Here, what we find is that our heart, our essence, our soul is making demands of who we're here to be. We're gonna try to run, right? There's no doubt about it. We're gonna go in the wrong direction a bunch of times. And we're going to find our ego oscillating back and forth because it does not want to surrender to what it does not know. Eventually, though, we reach a point where that is our only option if we are to become who we're here to become. 